the Nation of Islam teaches who, that white who, people who, were who, created in a, in a laboratory. How many white people have been killed by by Nation the, of Islam the, people? I have no idea. Well, I don't it's know. relevant. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just it, think the fault. I'm it's just a saying false it's not a. I'm not making an equivalence beyond they both hate particular racial groups and they both teach hatred. Like this is, I thought that was the standard. Is the standard that they teach not, hate or that they kill people? Men too, the like pseudo like. I thought. What I'm sorry. Wait, was are the, you sick? No, wow. Are you trying like, to pull the misogynist card? Well, no, me? I didn't say misogynist. Yeah, no. Uh, don't don't tell her that. I, yes, I only thing. condescend to women no. because only only women could possibly disagree with me. And no, we have I, a conversation. I'm, I'm not even trying like to condescend. To this is just yeah, how I yeah. talk. All right. Um, but are you calling? Are you saying that because I'm a black man? Yeah, that that's I'm what uppity? I was trying to ask about. Yeah, so you, see? you need to you need to settle. I, we that. could both yeah. do that. I know. We could both do it. We could both put cards. I have a disability as well. I could use that on you. Too. What is no, if I don't know it, then um, it doesn't count. Handsomeness <laughs> and delusion, delusional. Are you kidding? Seriously? We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 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 Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. Hey, this is uh, your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle. The people that make it and ourselves don't fade out my music too quickly. Why? Come on, Chad, take it easy. Oh, God, we have to hear you. I like the, the I like the uh, you know you ever listen to like dance hall like dance hall mixtapes. Yeah, oh, like where I mean, they like turn it down and then turn it all the way back yeah, up. Yeah, that's, well, they, that's what they, I'm going they, for. <laughs> they do that like at dance hall like shows and yeah. stuff, like, like DJs and stuff. Not like Hola, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna do the patois. <laughs> all right, stop the place, stop the place. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there's always like butty boy. Like, God, why did it get so homophobic so fast? Seriously, I, <laughs> two minutes and it's homophobic. <laughs> I'm Camille Foster. Yeah, uh, I probably shouldn't say Are that. You guys I, drunk I, already? I work. At- Camille has a big glass glass of water. And I, I, I found a Corona yeah, in the not, fridge. Not drunk at all. We're just having yeah. a good time. Yeah. Um, a, a few brief words of warning that this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary about the media, the media landscape, and various other things. Mm. Um, there's, there's frequently strong language, uh, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Uh, this is, I think, this is officially like episode 48, but it's actually episode 49 because we taped episode 48 um, earlier this week, and it went sideways. Uh, but we'll come back to that. The we I'm referring to is Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, who is on the phone, um, and Michael Moynihan, national correspondent of HBO's Vice News Tonight. C- can I? Can I? Uh, can he's I, in the room. Yeah, can I interject here that it didn't, uh, when you said we, and it went pear-shaped, uh, <laughs> I wasn't here, oh, which, yeah. by the way, you, you uh, correlation here. and causation are yeah. two different things, but I think there might be some relationship uh, between my absence and the fact that it was so fantastically awful um and not because uh the guest's opinions uh seem to be stupid and awful but because uh the, the, i don't know i didn't listen to it. i saw I, you played me a few clips well, and i was like I, I thought it was you interviewing people um in like a seventh grade classroom and saying what do you give me some political ideas and they just started making them up well i take responsibility for it going sideways but but matt you were there um perhaps you have some commentary uh, on these on these events the person will, will remain unnamed, I assume, right? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's Katie Halper. Halper? Halper? I don't even know. Who what that is. what is her name? Katie 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 Halper? It's Halper. Stop stop with the names. Yeah, her name is uh Katie Halper. That is the the guest that we had on earlier this week. She was a, a native New Yorker and the host of the uh, Katie Halper show on Pacifica. Um and it, it wasn't Katie's fault. 
Um, I, I take all of the responsibility. I had inadequately prepared to to point guard the show. Um, yes, I, I usually bring my first round draft pick caliber um, NBA all star uh, point guarding moderating abilities to the table uh, and I kind of sucked it up and I, I was taking the bait and we got into a lengthy, nasty, long um, philosophical argument that just, I mean, it was like all 12th grade. It was, it was real bad. And by 12th really, grade, really, like really long. I yeah, mean, it was long, long, like, uh, Hey, look, it's minute 90 guys. Can we not like go into the, I'm not really black thing right now. I didn't go into um, that. I don't think we did that. I think I, I it was assumed I brought up the nation of Islam. Um, um Omar, yeah, Omarosa came up or Omarosa, oh whatever God. the hell her name is. She came up like thirty times, which will give you a times. sense of just how how the low quality. I'm uh, really bummed out that I missed this. Um, but I, <laughs> I have to say that I just looked at her Twitter. I don't know anything about her. But the uh, first tweet I see is uh, apologies to black uh, autonomist who I called a neoliberal when he's not at all. And she says, I deleted the tweets. I, I think at this point, you got to realize that uh, maybe that's not a person that's going to gel well on this show. I, <laughs> I, I, I spent the last... All are welcome. Yeah, all are welcome. I spent the last week um, in um, D.C. Uh, with a lot of liberals, a lot of people on the left, uh, Democrats, uh, etc. And uh, all were very nice and interesting. And uh, none of them were the type of people that would uh, call somebody a neoliberal as a swear word. And I think that those people are a little too off the reservation ideologically to even deal with. So that's just my two cents on something that I was not a part of. Well, Matt, Matt Welch, you were a part of it. But I'm also interested in knowing where you are because I, I was told that you would be on some sort of boat. And it seems that you are not. You are in, in I'm some on the slow boat uh, here. I just uh, came through Chris Hayes' neighborhood in Park Slope. I noted uh, that uh, our friend uh, Chris today was like, I had a parent-teacher conference today, and I just want to say that all, uh, you know, God bless public school teachers. Dear Lord. And uh, totally true uh, in his Park Slope uh, district. They're very good schools. So <laughs> yeah, no, those are great. Those are great schools. It's, yeah. it's, it's probably Phenomenal. the reason he lives uh, in Park Slope and not Bed-Stuy or Crown Heights, which is very close, um, but has not, not schools that are just bad, mm. but damn, near, damn, damn well dangerous. I mean, he would not we send his kids our, there. Mm. We just had our uh, parent-teacher conference today, and then, then God bless our uh, teachers as well. Uh, terrific work. So, no, I'm headed towards the airport. I'm going out uh, to uh, Los Angeles, uh, California, where there's going to be recent weekend. And the highlight of this, and I know that Moynihan's jealous, even though mm. uh, Camille won't know who I'm talking about, is that I'm going to be interviewing in about 36 hours uh, Chris uh, Novoselic. That is, uh, I mean, for you especially, as a, uh, you, I'm just going to look over at this, uh, baffled black man next to me. <laughs> no, it's the guy from Nirvana, right? By, uh, by uh, usually, it? usually Camille's like, you know what? I'm not black, and I don't. And then I look up, and this and I'm like, oh, he's he's like f- singing the new future song. In his head. Um, yeah, well, he's, well, that's not. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that he, is not black music. He's uh, well, well, we can talk about that. In a yeah. But he he, how, you knew he was in Nirvana because you'd heard us talk about it. This is true. Yes, okay. I cheated. Yeah, it's not like if, because if I, I mean, told, Kurt I, Cobain is no Nirvana. Yeah, I don't know that well, anyone else I was mean, actually in Nirvana. There were, yeah. There, no. was, there, were, yeah. Yeah, there, there were two other people, and then Pat Smear, who was in the germs. I, and then I mean, that's later. not a real person. It, is, a it, is, it is a fake name, but a real yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> Christ Novoselic is very much his real name. Yeah. Matt, what were you going to be talking to uh, Novoselic about? Because he's like famously a Green Party guy, right? He is, but uh, he was a supporter of Gary Johnson in this past campaign. And I uh, only because of the cruelties and incompetence of JetBlue did I miss out 
on interviewing him in June or July. It was in between the two uh, major party conventions. I was supposed to fly back to Drew Carey's house because apparently I live a famous lifestyle that I don't otherwise live uh, and interview him there for a fundraiser uh, for uh, Gary Johnson back then. So he got involved in this thing called Fair Vote, um, which is all about kind of ranked choice voting and various schemes to try to uh, improved democracy, which Camille hates because he hates democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he got involved with that uh, way back in 2005, wrote a book uh, about, like, uh, I forget the name of the title, but it's essentially from Grunge to Grange. He's involved with the Grange, the, uh, the kind of uh, farmer, uh, Western self-help uh, localism uh, movement back there. Just a really interesting cat, very, very nice, um, has been complimentary of, uh, our coverage, uh, for instance, of the uh, Libertarian Party campaign uh, back during the convention of it, and uh, and just kind of a nice, thoughtful guy, and, and has some of the more interesting takes on uh, Citizens United, among other uh, uh, things out there in the world. So uh, it'll be talking about then about all that stuff, and it's going to be so impossible for me to kind of like keep it together and not just make the whole thing about Nirvana. And uh, I sent him uh, I sent him some emails, and I hope he doesn't mind because. Uh, Obviously, he'll be coming on the fifth column at some point. But um, I sent him an email with some like uh, proposed questions, and uh, and of course, I touched gently into uh, Nirvana ask territory. And he's like, "Yeah, um, be really great if we could talk about fair vote a lot." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So take it easy, Welch. Like, I mean, I I don't want to accordion on on uh, on uh, you know Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam. Can we talk about that more? Yeah, I mean I don't I don't <laughs> want to be uh, mean to my favorite Croatian, but um, uh, you know you gotta. I mean we are interested in what he uh, has to say about these things because he was in Nirvana. <laughs> uh, so I think he's really smart about this stuff. I read his Citizen United thing that he posted online, but you know I mean it's really also because he's in Nirvana was in Nirvana. So you know just I mean it's worth it's worth you know touching on it for a second. I mean you should expect yeah, yeah. that, right? No. Oh, he and, and he totally will. Now he's uh, uh, in looking in the spelunking into some of his uh, interviews and discussions, and you know South by Southwest presentations and all that kind of crap. Um, he uh, totally understands that and uh, and respects it in a in a nice way. So. Uh, yeah, and I think he was born. I mean, his parents, uh, uh, you know, ran away from a communist country. So I wonder. You can ask him about that too. I mean, because he's. He's from, his parents are from uh, Croatia, from the former Yugoslavia. He's born in Compton. I mean, the dude. Uh, yeah, he's born in Compton, to too. Mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's straight out of Compton. I, I was born in Bellflower, which is a neighboring city. He was raised in San Pedro. I was raised in Long Beach, the neighboring city. So basically, what I'm saying is that I am in Nirvana. I think, I think uh, we can uh, all understand that Nirvana wouldn't have been what it was without my musical contributions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, there That's we go. Amazing. Well, Chris Novoselic coming up. And will that be available somewhere for, for, uh, for listeners to watch or listen yeah, to? Yeah, I, I presume that we will be uh, taping it for uh, Reason TV. And, uh, and there I will also make the ask for him. Apparently he just is a gentleman farmer out there in Washington somewhere. and doesn't really do a whole lot with his yeah. time. And uh, the patron saint of our podcast, Dave Lee, suggested that, hey, just get him on the show. He'll fly his plane out. For fun, oh. um, so let's let's. Does he actually fly it himself, or am I? I mean, I'm amazed that he has his own plane. I mean, I mean, he was the base. Player. Yeah, he's like a you know, <laughs> Jeez, uh, hypercub, whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean. Yeah, it was a bass player. I'm just saying, Camille. I mean, I mean, that's, like, uh, I don't know that bass players in Nirvana don't make very well. Good money. I, like, they do. I, I had a conversation one time with. Uh, I spent the day drinking with Andy Rourke. 
who's the bass player in the Smiths, more mm-hmm. the Morrissey's uh, band. I'm, you're looking at me. No, I mean, with, I've, like, I've certainly heard of the Morrisseys yeah. and, and yeah, the Morrisseys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you hear he said yeah, the Morrisseys? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought we were going to talk about future. We're going to talk about, first we're going to talk about that famous band, the Morrisseys. And and he was living at the time in Bushwick, which is- I know where Bushwick is. Yeah, Bushwick is. And so he's living in Bushwick. And he was the bass player in The Smiths. Yes. Uh, rather important band. And Morrissey, who lives, uh, was living in L.A. And I can't remember, like, uh, Greta Garbo's old house or something. I mean, guy's got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about riding the L train from uh, out, sort of outer Bushwick into Manhattan. And he would get on, he could sort of get on the train earlier. There's seats. And then the train fills up and there's people kind of hanging onto the pole. And he said, like, every day he got on, there's people hanging on the pole. And they all had Smiths T-shirts on. All of them, but so many of these people had Smiths. And he was like, I didn't ever get a nickel from any of these. There are pictures of my face, <laughs> teachers of my face on them. That famous uh, Queen is Dead photo, you know, at the Salford Lads Club. And he's sitting there, like, looking at this and saying, yeah. God. And he was the bass player. So I tend to assume that most people got screwed in the same way that uh, the great and lovely and, and incredibly warm and know. friendly Andy Rourke got screwed. I don't know. If, if, you're that, if you're that popular, that your face is all over people's T-shirts and you cannot find a way to monetize that. Yeah. I blame, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you. I think he tried to monetize it through a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not and what the, I mean. And the, and the judge prevented that <laughs> method of monetization. Yes, that's not what I mean. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, what's going on in the world that we should talk about? I, I don't know. I mean, Matt, can you hang out for a little while? Are Are you gonna Are you gonna I'm hang good, out? Man, I'm, I'm you don't even know what's in, uh, going I'm, on. I'm like going through Bushwick now, although it's not quite Bushwick. Um, oh, so if you're going I'll to JFK, you should be on the line with us for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> so you should be all right. <laughs> no, it's it's actually pretty late in the evening, so he should be he should be moving pretty quickly. Well, there there are plenty of things in the news uh, which we have yet to discuss. Uh, there are various legislative goings ons right now yeah. um, that the uh, the Trump administration is is helming. We have the uh, travel ban 2.0. Uh, which uh, is materialized, which is now six countries minus Iraq, uh, no special privileges uh, for minority religions. Those things have been removed. Uh, it didn't ever say Christian, but it was uh, supposed that it was uh, in order to help Christian uh, minorities who were in Syria, for example. And speaking of Syria, there's also no no specific refu- re- restrictions on Syrian refugees, just a broader um, sort of categorical, uh, specifically time-delimited uh, ban on refugees uh, coming into the country. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been a lot less excitement uh, about this travel you said, ban. You said six countries. You should also mention the four minus, states. Minus Iraq. The four states uh-huh. um, as of today that were promising to file suit against uh, 2.0 version of this executive order. I believe it was New York, Washington, Hawaii, and there was one more. Uh, they mm-hmm. were kind of, it was kind of flashing by as I was on the train uh, today from DC, but and, but and I there admitted, are people. I omitted the detail about uh, green card holders being uh, being omitted, now omitted exa- from yeah, this yeah, 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 uh, yeah. because that was a, a particularly risky situation. Yeah, so yeah. do we do we know I mean, on what guys, basis those cases guys, are being? Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I'll just jump. I'll just jump in because I was. Uh, I've been uh, deep into this stuff. If you actually read the text of the executive order, it's uh, like a dozen paragraphs exempting categories of people who caused almost all of the legal. And, and political uh, grief uh, in the discussion of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, starting with green card holders, but then also getting into students and people who had otherwise gotten in line correctly and had their pro- their, uh, their their applications processed all like point by point by point by point. They were exempted uh, from all of this. So there is no remaining 
due process arguments. And even though the media treatment of all of this um, made it seem like it was um, almost purely a uh, kind of religious disc- discrimination, uh, possibly First Amendment and otherwise uh, uh, legal argument, that was always the thinnest read by far because you had to say that it was, you had to intuit that it was a Muslim ban, even though the word Muslim or Christian didn't appear in any of it. Right. Um, although it certainly appeared in the campaign and some other stuff that wasn't actually in the um, uh, uh, order itself. But uh, actually, the by far the biggest uh, objection was in the uh, due process things. And this, the revised ban, removes, I would say, 98% of the due process objections. Because remember, people, as, as we had on our show, when uh, I believe we talked to Damon Root about this, um, you don't have to be a citizen of the United States to have due process pr- uh, protections. If you have a relationship here, if you live here, if you've gone, uh, done everything right, um, you... Uh, you have plenty of, of uh, due process protection. The, the, the category of person who just does not are people who do not live here and have applied for stuff, but otherwise don't have any special claim. So it removed all of that. And what, what that's interesting for is not just that it gets the question away from the legality mostly, even though, I mean, the ACLU immediately said, oh, we'll see you back in court and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure it's a great fundraiser for them. And I don't say that sneeringly. I appreciate that they're, uh, that they're being sanded into gears on this uh, and and other things, but uh, that the argument now goes to a place uh, which is where the president has the upper hand, which is you have a lot of executive order and latitude uh, for this stuff, but it also gets to the content of it. Like, is it okay at a time when we now have something like 16 or 17 million refugees worldwide, which is up from 10 million just four years ago, is it okay that we're going to have the lowest number, uh, net number of uh, refugees admitted in this country than we've had in every year except for four over the last four decades? Um, that That's not really a conversation that's, that's even come up that much as part of this. I, for one, do not think that's okay. We've already accepted, I think, in this uh, fiscal year, 37,000 refugees. The target's 50. So we've got about six months, whatever, in the fiscal year, and forgive my math, but uh, – they ain't going to be any more refugees coming in this country. It's going to be 12,000 uh, until uh, the end of September. That is a super radical change, and it's one that I feel like hasn't been talked about that much. And uh, and and uh, and it's it's one that a president can do unless uh, the judge in Seattle or other judges are a lot more adventurous than I even think that they might be. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the you know, the, it's the 1965, the Immigration and Nationality uh, Act that uh, said that that no person can be discriminated against in the, what is it, the issuance of an immigrant visa because of a person's race, sex, nationality, place of birth or, or place of residence, which has been cited in those court decisions. But I think the bigger thing is that there's, a, there's no one has pointed out something that I think is fairly interesting. This hastily written first run was written by people who did not have the the requisite legal background to write it. So you have Stephen Miller, who's involved in this, and Stephen Miller, who, um, you know, is a protege of David Horowitz, who uh, did the Islamo-fascism week on his campus at Duke University and invited Horowitz in conjunction with that. And, you know, regardless of what you think of that, the, the, the rationality of this ban, they tried to they thought they could squeeze it through by using this Obama kind of framework mm-hmm. from a yeah. few of the seven countries and everything. But it, it's so poorly considered for a few reasons. I mean, the first one is that 
Nobody from any of these countries has committed a violent act in the United States that we're aware of. There are people in, remember the Kellyanne Conway Bowling Green Massacre. Well, I mean, the Bowling Green Massacre, there was something to that was a couple of Iraqi guys uh, in Bowling Green who were caught, I think, in a storage facility moving material or, you know, talking to an FBI agent. Right. They'd been working with with FBI agents who they were moving materials for. Yeah. And and that doesn't... um, And initially, I believe, were only sort of supporting this whatever it was financially uh, yeah. which was supposed to be overseas. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's an executive order one of the first things he did in search of a problem. I mean there's so I think where it comes from and I can I can hear eyes rolling and see heads shaking and what it is it's Stephen Miller's uh vision of Europe basically. You have x number of thousands Syrians Iraqis coming into the United States I think, and you, if you listen to Steve Bannon and these guys talk about it, and Bannon was also instrumental in the writing of the first executive order, is that they do have a thought that we don't want America to become what, like Belgium, like Molenbeek in Belgium, or, you know, Rosengord or Huspi in, 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 in Stockholm or whatever, arrondissement in Paris, which we have done a very, very good job in relation to how Europeans have handled of integrating people from the Middle East, people from Muslim countries. And a lot of that is actually because of an economic system that's very different uh, than the one that keeps people in Sweden, for instance, from working ever and just sort of sitting around smoking cigarettes in the town square because of the way that the Swedish state is structured. But it is that is what they're thinking of. I mean, this is what is the sort of fever dream of guys like Bannon and Miller is, you know, Eurabia, this bat your kind of fantasy or, or nightmare that, you know, is about as overdrawn as you can possibly imagine. Um, there are enormous problems with the integration of uh, Muslim populations and you know, take France or take um, Holland. I mean, the Dutch are having an election. Uh, next week, I believe on Wednesday, the 15th. Mm-hmm. And that day, Jurt Wilders, uh, who's taken a bit of a tumble in the polls, um, he might be in a very, very interesting position. And the guy is Trumpian. I mean, he's a big Trump fan. He's a big Trump supporter. And he is Trumpian in rhetoric and in ideology. And the peaceful, you can buy pot there and get prostitutes, Netherlands is about to put him on the precipice of power. And we don't want a similar situation. But the, the, the specifics of it, of how that happens in a country like that versus what happens in the United States are so dramatically different that I don't know what the impetus for this travel ban is. It's responding to no specific problem and only a larger sense that we don't right. want to become the, like the, that. The imagined, the imagined problem uh, of, the, of the unique risk posed by people from this part of the world. And, and look, I, I think part of it um, is what, uh, what Donald Trump has said repeatedly uh, for some time now, um, that he is just doing the things he said he would do and checking those boxes uh, yeah. for his supporters in order to say, look, yeah. I, I accomplished the stuff I said I would, um, is, is rather important. And it is interesting, though, because no one is talking about this. For the most part, folks are focused on health care reform. Um, and a little bit today, uh, being Thursday, um, they are beginning to talk about this uh, $1 trillion infrastructure. I'm going to get, get, go, get, get my piece. I, I can't find it on me. And no, I, I have a little get nicotine your, Go ahead. I'm, withdrawal. Fine. Keep going. Keep I'm not going. judging you. Keep yeah, going. so he's going, he's going after this $1 trillion, um, this $1 trillion uh, 
program uh, in order to build bridges, uh, the infrastructure program. Um, and, and I suppose uh, the, the real action here, and, and Matt, maybe you can talk to speak to what the, the sort of Liberty Caucus uh, is doing with respect to this legislation, because it actually sounds like, uh, well, the, the fact fundamental issue here is that there are fissures actually beginning to show uh, at least a little bit uh, with respect to this this piece of legislation, the actual health care reform proposal that's been submitted by the Trump administration. The, the, the fact of the matter is that the, it, it has a bunch of things that are being held over uh, from the uh, from the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, a few a few things that it's actually expanding, if I'm not mistaken. Some of the, the tax credits uh, are, are actually a little more generous. They're trying to normalize the treatment of, say, purchasing insurance uh, if you are an employer or if you are an individual buying insurance. Um, and from the standpoint of many conservative organizations, uh, Americans for Prosperity, for one, um, Heritage, uh, I believe, has come out and said something about this. Cato is not a conservative organization, but they certainly support uh, sort of free market solutions to healthcare. Um, they've been fairly critical um, of this and piece. Met, and, and some of them met with Trump the other day. Right. Uh, they came to the White House to, to express their displeasure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. there have been, there've been letters written, um, but it also seems like there are conversations happening. I mean, Rand Paul was, was and Donald Trump were tweeting at one another publicly today, uh, apparently after having met. Uh, and and Donald Trump was uh, suggesting that he he believes that, that Rand Paul will get on board. Matt is is Rand Paul going to uh, capitulate here? Are they going to get along and be friends? And to to sort of connect this other thing, the uh, the infrastructure legislation that's out there that's being imagined as sort of the next thing uh, that Trump will try to do. Uh, it seems to me to sort of ask the playing politics question here that at least a part of what is happening is um, sort of positioning himself to be able to give away. Uh, things uh, in connection with that that trillion dollar um, program, the infrastructure program, which conservatives, if it were a, a Democrat pushing this stuff, would probably be uh, a little displeased with. But since it's a Republican, it's totally fine. It's great. Uh, you know, um, I think that one of the only reasons why the infrastructure thing is being talked about at all right now, and, and yes, he has talked about this throughout, it was always going to be a thing. But early on in the administration, they talked about it in terms of yeah, well, we got some other stuff we need to take care of here, so we're going to talk about that next year. The reason why it's re-upped, um, uh, and I'm guessing uh, here, uh, right. so take that for what it's worth, is that uh, they're going to need some Democrats for uh, Obamacare because your Justin Amash's, your Freedom Caucus people are dead against it. You've already had Rand Paul, Mike Lee came out shooting guns, and that uh, – uh, you know, the Republican majority in the Senate is last I looked, what, 52 to 48. So I just subtracted two. I'm pretty sure I can do some math here. Uh, and it's not just them. It's also, if I'm not mistaken, and apologies if I am, but I, it, I heard this in a green room, so it must be true. But that Susan <laughs> Collins and, and Lisa Murkowski are uh, against it because of the um, proposal to cut Planned Parenthood funding. There's going to be lots of reasons to object on this. Ted Cruz who is as principled as, you know, uh, uh, a ride to uh, JFK is uh, without potholes. I'll follow where I'm going uh, with that. Um, he came out and said, well, I don't think this is going to have enough votes to pass. So you bring up the infrastructure because that's going to buy Democrat votes. And there's even a uh, uh, in the Wall Street Journal had a big piece today about kind of some of the flesh and bones from the infrastructure project. And it included the phrase high-speed rail. And if there was anything that's designed to make 
libertarian, conservative, Republican, whatever, not Democrat uh, uh, mind, eyes just like pop out of their heads. It's that phrase. They've seen what happened in California in particular with a kind of high-speed rail boondoggles that don't make any sense and trains to nowhere and all this kind of stuff. Why would you bring that up now when, in fact, you have this thing, Obamacare is going to, or, you know, uh, the uh, Ryan Care um, that we're going to be talking about for however long is going to soak up all of the oxygen. And then the next thing to do it is going to be the border tax um, slash corporate tax reform. And that's that you've already sketched out a first year of pain there. There's no way you're really actually going to get uh, any infrastructure stuff done, probably. So you bring it up now because you want to start the process of buying Democrats, um, which is something that the Democrats are not keen at all to do. No one, there has not been any Democratic cooperation with Donald Trump so far, and for yeah. understandable reasons, because, you know, very early on in the presidency, you had millions of people in the street saying, hell no, and wearing pussy hats. Um, there's a very strong uh, I mean, we've never seen an in, uh, a new president as unpopular as this guy, and he inflames passions. Uh, certainly no one's actually passionate about uh, the Democratic Party in a meaningful way, but there's this thing on the street that is don't cooperate with the son of a bitch, yeah. um, which, uh, which is a pretty healthy uh, reflex as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, yeah, I think that's why we're hearing about that now. I think this thing's dead, uh, dead on arrival. I, I, I'm... Uh, always interested to discover how wrong I am about everything, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really hard to imagine, right? Breitbart.com is going crazy about how terrible this uh, reboot is. The only person that I can tell that it likes this in any meaningful sense is Paul Ryan. And, well, well, he kind of uh, has we, to at yeah. this point. It's his, it's his baby. I mean, if this, if this dies, this is uh, very problematic for him. You know, it's funny, and this, but, you and this, know. And this uh, just uh, quickly to put a button on it. Since uh, are we are we killing the the, the great uh, 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 podcast that we did on Tuesday? Because I had a great uh, uh, Obamacare reboot uh, rant on that, Camille. You know, we, we can do that. As you just want me to, you just want me to play extra. play you yelling yeah. and screaming. Uh, we, uh, just play me yelling and cursing a lot. Yeah, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but but there is a theory of uh, of uh, the, the Trump uh, candidacy and presidency, which I like because it's just fun and it doesn't otherwise make sense. Is that it's an extended humiliation of Paul Ryan. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe the the uh, the uh, Ryan Care reboot is a way to like, finalize the fact that everybody in the country now openly despises the man. I have not heard a positive word said about. Paul Ryan in any context that doesn't involve his rock hard abs uh, in something like 18 months. And I don't expect to ever hear that again. You know, it's it, the thing is, I mean, this the Senate decides, I mean, this this will get this will possibly get through the House and it's 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 dead on arrival in the Senate and, and Republicans in the House have to be very careful about um, throwing their weight behind something that's going to die in the Senate. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a strange thing to watch um, people who. Uh, whined about the 2010 class of Republicans uh, not getting anything done and not doing what they said to do and uh, said they were going to do in this sort of Tea Party wave is that we cannot trust people. We cannot trust Republicans in particular, and we need to burn down the party and create a new one. And then one of the people that said that, uh, sort of sh the strongest voice in that in 2012 was actually Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon said this, uh, you know, repeatedly. And, you know, while denouncing, by the way, in the same breath, the Cato, Cato Institute and libertarians, et cetera. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, you, you hear things that, you know, Bannon, there's a story the other day, I think it was BuzzFeed. And God knows how much stock we put in this in these days because so many stories I don't trust 
just instinctively don't trust them because they prove a really interesting point that you don't suspect to be true. And one was the DACA story, the the dreamer story, that the preservation of that was pushed by one, the one and only Steve Bannon, who uh, was the former head of Breitbart, uh, the great immigrant, immigrant-hating website. And so I don't know what to think about that, but I, 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 I see... I'm consistently trying to find an ideological core here, and I might this might be a fool's errand. I mean, but one of the things I think that is confusing and I think that is clarifying at the same time is that Trump, of course, doesn't have an ideological core, but the buck does stop with him. He does get what he wants, period. And that has been clear from early reporting and people who have been inside the White House and, and, and you know, leaking stuff from the White House. But, you know, I mean, remember this buy American steel bit about, you know, if we build those pipelines, we were going to do it with American steel that they've walked that back. They are not going to buy American steel. The anti-globalization crew wants to have, you know, the Keystone Pipeline, the Dakota Pipeline, all built with American steel. By the way, no, not going to happen. Are you getting arrested, Matt? I, I hear sirens yeah, in the background. Just, You're like Rick no, James it, on the back of street signs. <laughs> getting, I, they, look at the back of that record. It's great. He's actually in the back of that record. He doesn't get arrested. The two girls he's with does. Rick always got off. But <laughs> this is, I mean, this thing about his <laughs> ideological core I mean, look at this bill. It is, there is nothing, it's not even the Freedom Caucus, there is nothing conservative about it. And there's only so long, I think, when you see the Heritage and the Heritage, Heritage Action Network, their sort of legislative arm, going and petitioning the president and saying, you know, this is a bad idea. And Heritage has flipped on so many things, including trade, and softened on all of their principles that they've been developing for 40 plus years mm. for the purpose of getting close to the administration. And I wonder what the breaking point is, because this is a guy who be trying to say, well, he said this, and he said this. He said this about foreign policy. He might be a Rand Paul type guy, a Ron Paul type guy, and then he might be a kind of, you know, put John Bolton somewhere in, in you know, spitting distance of the White House. The guy is a man, he's he's somebody who you know practices the pol politics of instinct, and to have you know Paul Ryan on his feet clapping during that non-state of the union, state of the union uh, for you know expanded family leave and all this stuff. It's like God, what is happening? What is the breaking point? And I think the interesting thing about this bill is that it is showing these cracks, and there are people, the Mike Lees of the world, the, some people in the Freedom Caucus. Saying, you know what, we can't get along in every and all the, the, the Trumpian people saying, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. But this isn't even good. And this is a really, really bad moment uh, for for the White House. And they're going to they're going to this is going to go down in flames and it's going to it's going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah, I mean, the purchase purchasing insurance across state lines is uh, is sort of the one uh, like valuable thing. Uh, sure, that, but it may, solves very little. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. given the given the level of regulation that's. Um, accompanying this this piece of legislation, and yeah, I'm I am not I'm not particularly pleased with this, um, Matt. I don't know if you have any other any other takes on this, but I, I did wanna I did wanna share um, part of your your freakout uh, the other day. Oh, is this is this the unreleased freakout? Yeah. So this is this is something from unreleased the, from the lost episode. Oh God. Let's see if it's going to look like when you were given the keys to the car. They did not. This is such but, but a pathetic 
failure from a policy and organizational standpoint. Started. It boggles the freaking mind but that it, Ted yeah. Cruz was spending time and expending political capital in mm-hmm. 2013 saying, I'm going to shut down the fucking government uh, because we're, <laughs> we can't fund Obamacare. <laughs> Imagine all of the red face time that he spent reading fucking Dr. Seuss on the Congress floor instead of saying, OK, who's working on doing the next thing? And mm-hmm. what would it look like if we have a president? They didn't spend any fucking time oh, doing dear. this. Oh, and so I am going to tight. lick up it's the delicious blue. tears of Republicans crapping on themselves as they look and see what they have created yeah. here on their on their hands. Wow. Matt wow. Walsh. Yeah. Wow. You know, I just want to say this. Like, I don't like the language. I think the language is a little <laughs> strong. I, I, very strong. It was a little strong. Yeah. I like a if clean you to, podcast. <laughs> you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> you had to sit through two hours of of uh of uh Camille being accused of uh of uncle tomming amorosa and uh, <laughs> and 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 like uh gender splaining and then just back and forth like yeah. and refighting whether uh, Trump has uh distanced himself uh, properly from David Duke I mean every mm. tedious argument that he's ever been wrong about was just like rebrought oh, up God. again mm-hmm. uh, you, you would wait a minute wait a minute did you say he's anything. been wrong about are you referring to me oh, yeah sure uh-huh <laughs> dear lord <laughs> Dear Lord, I'm saying that I'm saying that because I'm going to get out of my car in about one minute. So, okay, like I just wanted to get in the darts before uh, before I pieced out. Oh, uh, before you go, be before able. you go, I did find some some choice yeah. audio that I wanted to share with you both, which I thought was okay. fun. There's clearly a fifth column here in the United States, and that, that needs to be dealt with. Oh, do you know who that was? Uh, um, Steve Bannon. Was that Steve? Bannon? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Oh my God, let me try my Steve Bannon. <laughs> what is? What's up, Mumbles? He's like Tom Menino, the former mayor of Boston. Mumbles Menino. Yeah. What was that? That was is part of a, a compilation video um, about uh, who did Steve, he say? Who did he say was the fifth? He was, he's referring to. Um, I suspect like Muslim <laughs> Muslim immigrants to this country. Oh, the Muslim um, or at least, or at least yeah. he's talking about refugees in some context. I I actually did not hear where that quote came from. Yeah. Um, it's part of a compilation video that I saw getting shared around. Uh, on Wait, Facebook. So you're playing out of context. Yeah, quotes? yeah, yeah, but I I'm I just like that he said that's a fifth column in the United States. It's just yeah, true. And it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be wrong. dealt with. This is true. So, well, go uh, on guys, your I'm go on your trip. I'm going to mute for a little bit, all right, uh, and I'll try to get uh, get you on the other hand. Oh, you're going to like keep talking? Okay, yeah, right. Right. we'll, we'll keep talking. Just right. don't interrupt us when you all come right. back. Yeah, all right. Yeah, whatever. Well, he's going to come back with some TSA rant, isn't it? <laughs> they touch my balls. <laughs> well, this so this is um, this is one of those things where there's we've talked a lot about sort of some of the legislative stuff um, that is that is going on right now, but this has also been a week filled with uh, various non-traversies. Um, yeah, really exciting. Uh, important matters. Um, early this week, everyone hated uh, Ben Carson uh, because Ben Carson sure. suggested that slaves were immigrants yeah, um, and that they had dreams for their children and aspirations and hopes mm. for the future. Monster. And of course, they didn't they didn't have those things uh, because they were they were horrible um, automaton slaves that, that didn't have. Uh, dreams and hopes. And can we do um, the norm? Do, we do the the Trump throat clearing. Can we do the the Carson? Ben Carson? Yeah, the, he's clearing? he's like kind of a ding dong. Anyway. No, I mean, look, the, Ben Carson. <laughs> well, this this I think there's there's two things. Ben Carson is is actually quite bright. He is a brain he is. surgeon, and he yeah. is like a groundbreaking brain surgeon who's done all kinds of incredible things yeah. with people's brains, like separating conjoined twins. That's that's magical. Um, but Ben Carson doesn't know a great deal about policy, and he is awkward. He's awkward. Um, awkward as hell. 
Uh, and when he gives this speech, sleepy. he's sleepy. He's he's sleepy. Yeah. He 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 does this weird thing where he pauses and he rubs his hands together. Yeah, you know um, who do like you know who does Gargamel. that? Like villains, yeah, villains and it's movies. Gargamel. Yeah, 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 totally. Gargamel, Gargamel from the Smurfs. Oh yeah, okay. What a weird reference. Why not like a Bond I mean, villain? Gargamel ru- yeah. rubs his hands together. Yeah, I mean, I I think I, do- I, I think you know. I'm Gold, sorry, Goldfinger does too. But go ahead. Well, <laughs> at any rate, yeah. at any rate. Um, but what was what was great was that later in the week, after everyone has freaked out uh, and various prominent so-and-sos on the interwebs and in various other places chimed in about how, how dangerously stupid Ben Carson is and how he obviously doesn't understand the horrors of the slave trade, um, various people um, producing all sorts of non-facts uh, about slavery, uh, but I, I won't necessarily get into that um, – but then it comes out the next day that Barack Obama had actually used sort of the same sort of phrasing, almost the exact same uh, phrasing, referring yeah. to yeah. referring to slaves as immigrants. So this is this is one non-traversy. Um, but one thing, just to interrupt something yeah, quickly here, is that with, with the Ben Carson thing, it, you know, this is the era that we live in where intention just doesn't matter. Sure, right? I mean, if I say something and I say, "Oh God, that came out wrong." No matter if I clarify it, and people like Ben Carson are kind of tone deaf in somewhere on the spectrum and don't realize it until the media pack descends on them. And he said some stupid things that were just straight up stupid, no matter how you, you, you slice it, usually about Nazis. But the, in this case, I, 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 I saw the headline and I was like, oh, God, here we go again with Ben Carson. I listened to the clip and I was like, OK, I mean, this is a, a bozo who has no sense of what he's saying when he's in front of a microphone. One has to be very careful about that. Um, but I kind of got the sense of what he was saying, mm-hmm. right? If you listen to it, and there's obviously very different. If you're ever editing something, like something for a film or TV, you get a transcript of the interview yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah. And then you put it, you, you do a paper cut of it. You put it in and you slot it in and say, that'll be good here. That, And then when you watch the bit from the interview and you're like, oh, actually, no, that doesn't work. Because it sounds totally different. It has no inflection in right. print. And I'm not defending what Penn Carson said. Well, I mean, you, just, you could. I'm just, I saying, I'm just saying that when I listened to it, I had a different feeling. And the feeling was like, all right, this guy just is stumbling over himself as usual. But what he was trying to say, even if I didn't agree with it, was not what it was being portrayed as, mm-hmm. was that this guy has no feeling for the struggle and the, the, the horrible sort of racial inequalities that this country was founded on, et cetera, et cetera. Indifference, indifference to slavery, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have no evidence other than this sentence in which somebody said something in a clumsy manner, in which people do all the time, especially if they're constantly having cameras uh, and, and microphones shoved in their face. So again, it's a weird semi-defense of Carson, but when I listen to it, it's like, why don't we ask him as a follow-up what you meant? We can have all the fun we want with it. Right. And then we can also mention that Barack Obama did, said the same thing. But the thing, the reason Bar- Barack Obama doesn't get any shit about that is because we suspect he has the right views, right? We suspect he has the appropriate views on this thing. We don't suspect that about Ben Carson, so we don't give him the benefit of the doubt. And I just think it's sort of broadly unfair to him. And he's a guy that I don't have a ton of respect for Mm -hmm. in the political realm. I I certainly don't. Um, I don't know why he's in the job that he's in. And I don't think he should have gotten a job in the administration at all. He has no background or experience. And, uh, you know, I know I see you. I see you. I knew your response was going to be, man, I know you don't care. (laughs) I know you don't care. But I just, this thing where if you say something, Intention doesn't matter. Yeah. If my mother 
And and I don't know if she would say, this, but if someone, let me just let me, let's take my mother out of it. Help mm-hmm. me do that. No, no, we say should some, denigrate some, your mom. <laughs> she listens. Come on. Yeah. Um, if if it's some, not me denigrating it, her. Well, you. I'm not denigrating her. Hear me <laughs> out. Sixty five year old, seventy year old person says he's a, a lovely guy. Um, he's he's a nice uh, young Oriental. Mm-hmm. There will be a uh, you know sort of pillaging. Yeah. Of I mean, we will attack them in every way. Dig through their stuff. I haven't right, heard anyone. Uh, to speculate about what might have happened to Ben Carson were he were he a white man and had he made the same oh, I think, quote unquote uh, error. I think I, there's I think there's not it, really an error made. No, I think it'd be worse um, yeah. for sure. But I I think that you know in the intentionality of these things. If you sure. say Oriental and you've been living in some small town and you're older and you don't go on the internet and you don't know that the world is changing in this way, why didn't we give those people a bit of signal. some slack because? Yeah. We have to sort of judge them by their intentions. And we don't do that anymore because we have too much fun sort of virtually signaling about we are the right. We are right about this and you're wrong. Yeah. We are good people and you're bad. And it's just exhausting. Have we seen anything else about the uh, – is it uh, Kazir uh, Khan who's the, the gold star dad? Shockingly, that disappeared. Yeah. That's, that story has disappeared. And this yeah. is the story um, where earlier this week, uh, I believe it was Sunday – uh, he was supposed to travel to Canada for a speaking event. And this is the the father of the young man who was killed. Um, I believe it was in Iraq. Um, and he spoke at the DNC. He and his wife did. And they, they made waves um, because there was this this conflict between them and, the, and Donald Trump, uh, then candidate for president, nominee of the Republican Party, um, had been criticizing him. Um, and at any rate, he is going to speak in Toronto and all we find out uh, via a press release, a very sort of hastily, hastily prepared um, and sort of crudely dispatched press release is that he received word from some agency that his uh, ability to travel uh, was under review uh, and that he perhaps should – I guess he was – he wasn't informed that he would, should cancel his trip, but he decided to cancel his trip as a consequence of that. And there was a, a tornado, a tsunami of reporting on this all over the place in various publications. Um, but a funny thing was happening. Uh, when folks would reach out to him, he would have zero comment. Um, thank you, uh, but I don't have any further comment on yeah. this matter. Um, and that story has has since disappeared. Um, Moynihan, you, you have a, a phenomenal radar for um, for fraudulent news, uh, for various things yeah. that are sort of suspect um, and strange. Why is it that someone would be in a situation where they're simply unwilling to respond? Is it is it out of fear? Is it an expectation no. that you might be persecuted by the Trump no. administration? Because at this point, the previous travel ban is no longer in force. Um, the new travel ban doesn't hasn't apply, been It doesn't apply to him. Either. And wouldn't yeah. apply to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so far as we know, multiple agencies have been uh, sort of asked about this and no government agency has suggested – one, they, they won't talk about a specific case. But they all said that we don't contact passengers to tell them about their travel status and it, if you're an American with a passport, you are free to go. And one in one please. actually – and I, I don't know if it was DHS that um, hinted to a reporter actually to say, I don't know anything about those. But mm-hmm. you, know, you might want to look at it – that, it was that kind of thing and I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact formulation of it. But it was about his global entry status, right. which is essentially a TSA pre-check for people traveling abroad and right. coming home. And uh, the curious thing about this was this is another one of those uh, cases 
in which, you know, all of this stuff to people who, who, who tweet this stuff without knowing the facts, without really understanding the situation. Let me frame it this way. You're empowering the Trump administration. You're empowering those people in the government who believe that the media is, quote, the opposition party because you act like the opposition party because this claim. And by the way, I want to be very clear about this. There are a lot of people that are good journalists who are very uh, were kind of suspect, circumspect about this Mm -hmm. and said, hey, let's not go crazy in this until we know details. And Kazir Khan was brutally treated, and I mean a sort of emotional brutality, by the Trump administration uh, for somebody whose son died in the Iraq war and was was used as a pawn initially and then a pawn by everybody. And it was there was something incredibly disgusting and gross about it. And I have an incredible amount of sympathy for him. And I think that that maybe it got a little ahead of him mm-hmm. here. And the reason for not actually responding is to not dig yourself deeper right. and to realize that, oh, if I just say these things, some people are going to start to look at them and ask what's happening. And people who asked said, he said, I have no comment. I have no comment. So I just looked at the the most recent uh, story about this was two days ago in the CBC, which is the Canadian uh, Broadcasting Corporation, pretty much Canada's NPR or BBC. And the headline um, is uh, a little different than it, uh, than it was two or three days ago. Because oh. uh, Khan, father of slain U.S. soldier, cancels Toronto talk. But reason for doing so is unclear. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, there doesn't appear to be anything to this. But the curious, the, the curious part of this is, number one, why would somebody, if they had a global entry problem, I mean, this, these things have to be renewed, you have to go back for interviews, etc., um, why would, would, would that be something that he would, you know, publicly with the sort of press release and say, I'm not doing this talk because of in this very, very weirdly worded thing about um, travel restrictions, mm-hmm. um, which which was as about as imprecise as you can be. And then when asked to clarify on it, because clearly he was told if this was the case, what it was, why he was not able to go to Canada. And he responded by saying no comment to anyone and I don't want to discuss it. So. The fact that this is a news story is a great lesson in the media taking press releases from somebody who has even people who have been reliable in the past, who don't appear to have any track record of kind of gaming the media in any way. But you that amount of circumspection is what you need to be a journalist and not to be somebody who's professionally on Twitter. That is that's what separates journalists from Average people to post things on Facebook. It doesn't matter if you're left, right, or center. Everybody I know on Facebook posts something that is unverified and ultimately turns out not to be true, you know, two times a month. I mm-hmm. see it constantly, constantly. I, I saw one today and I was, it made me pull my hair out. And it's like, guys, take a look at this. Click to, you know, take the quote, put it into Google, see if it's true, see the context of it. It doesn't take long. If it, if it takes you a little longer to spread this poison on Facebook because you want people to know, don't you want to know if it's true? Journalists, we should be uh, apart from that because we should have a sort of measure of training. It's the difference between taking a paper cup and, you know, dumping it over a, a, a little ash can that's on fire and being a firefighter. Those firefighters know what they're doing. They should. They understand how to do this stuff. Journalists should understand how to do this stuff. And on this, on getting some sort of press release and having the the, the, the legs that it had, why did it have those legs? Well, you know, because it fit our narrative. It fit our preconceived notion. Well, yeah. I mean, part part of it also, though, is just that the hysterical sort of mood of the moment um, is one that is 
prepared to quickly capture stories that that fit that narrative yeah. and launch them into the stratosphere and to report on them doggedly. Yeah, there was always um, there's, there's an, an opportunity yeah. to 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 continue to extend things. And it's it's odd. I mean, the 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 thing that comes to mind, and we're sort of pivoting out of the realm of uh, non-traversies to perhaps like genuine uh, criminal activity. Um, there's the uh, the Jeff Sessions admission uh, that he had, in fact. Uh, had some uh, communication uh, with Russians, um, and at least the revelations that he has, in fact, had them, um, which is uh, in, in sharp contrast to the testimony that he gave before the Senate. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is uh, this is something that is certainly consequential enough that he has taken the step of publicly recusing himself from any sort of Justice Department-led investigation into uh, connections between the Trump administration and Russians. But all of this, I mean, this Jeff Sessions situation, we can talk about, you know, whether or not it's perjury and what, what perhaps the likely fallout is going to be. He had uh, there was a hearing for one of his uh, his deputies earlier this week. And the only question that was asked repeatedly in various ways is, are you aware of the do you have any connections to the Russians, which is just kind of insane that this is where we are? Um, and are you aware of this investigation and, and how would you conduct it? What would you do? Yeah. Um, uh it's it's hard. One, I mean, there are there are several different sort of Russia stories that at this point are all being conflated together. Uh, yeah. The first of which is the hacked emails, um, and the maybe hack is the wrong word you might say, mm. um, but the emails uh, from the DNC, uh, which were eventually leaked, um, Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, the third, it, the second thing um, is John Podesta's email. John, yeah. pa- yes, those are John Podesta's yeah. email. The second thing is actually. Um, uh, a story that turned out to not be true. Um, and it is the revelations about Donald Trump's quote unquote secret server. Um, it was a secret server inside of Trump Tower that was supposed to have some connection to some kind of Russian bank. Um, and it was a story that initially um, the Clinton administration, the Clinton campaign was actually pushing like pretty aggressively. There were releases. It was on Twitter. Various news agencies were pushing this as well. And very quickly uh, and at the time, like somewhat quietly, like this story was sort of squashed. Um, it became clear that, no, I mean, this is not, this isn't what you think it is. There pretty, is no pretty quickly, yeah. relationship yeah. here. But in either case, it all served to continue sort of the momentum of this grand conspiracy between Donald Trump and Russia. And it is something that has stuck with us um, and was, I think, perhaps just sort of pushed to the, the fullest extent once the revelations about Flynn um, who had actually had phone conversations, um, despite having said he hadn't had phone conversations uh, with the uh, Russian ambassador on multiple occasions um, and had lied about it. At least we know that he lied about it in the press, uh, but apparently has lied about it to the Trump administration so far as we know. Um, but all of this has come together and has created this perception of perhaps a dark conspiracy involving Donald Trump and the Russians. Uh, and some, I guess another sort of last kind of leg of the stool, and, and it's, I suppose it's the way that we, you look at things once you have this well-worn narrative, it all sorts of fits, fits together. Donald Trump has not released his tax returns. Mm. Um, there could be any number of reasons why he hasn't, but one reason that has been speculated about is that there is an obvious smoking gun there that will show that he is somehow... Um, he is in in debt to the Russians um, or that there is some other entity that he's in debt to and that they have control over him uh, as a consequence of this. So 
I don't know. Um, the, there's been a tremendous amount of reporting on this. The New York Times has been pretty determined. Um, and earlier this week, they had a story about the Obama administration's rush to preserve intelligence of Russian election hacking. Um, and it's it's a situation where the Obama administration was going about systematically um, sort of making certain that intelligence related to various investigations was readily available, that was a fairly low classification, um, and that it was sort of spread out uh, throughout these various entities um, of government, the the deep state, if you will. Um, and the New York Times story is written in such a way that the the narrative seems to suggest that the Obama administration was so concerned that they wanted to make certain that these revelations could not be buried. Uh, but it seems to me that there is definitely another way to read that story, which <laughs> yeah. is you think? which yeah. is that the Obama administration <clears throat> saw an opportunity to continue to sort of perpetuate this narrative sure. and create an obstacle to the Trump administration yeah. on its way out the door. I, I, you know, in a way, we were talking about this before we started. In a way, I don't blame them. Um, I didn't say this before we started, but, you know, I mean, all the tools in the tool shed. I sure. mean, I, 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 that's what politics is about, you know, to get uh, cliche and and uh, quote uh, uh, Tip O'Neill, politics ain't beanbag. I mean, you there should be an expectation that that's going to happen and you shouldn't have too many people making contacts with – I mean, you – the, the Trump administration allowed this to happen. Yes, absolutely. When they, when they had Paul Manafort on the payroll, he shouldn't have passed a basic background check for the campaign right. when he worked for a strongman in in Ukraine who was you know, a, a Russian cutout basically, Viktor Yanukovych. That's a problem. Mike Flynn has a series of other problems. A guy's taking fees to be at RT dinners and sit next to Putin, right? You know, along with Jill Stein, I think right. was at that table too, and apparently was was doing. I didn't uh, realize that actually. I think she was there. Yeah, uh, I don't don't call me on that. I well, think she, she was. She's been she's been to Russia many yeah. times. She yeah. sort of spoke out in yeah. defense of. You don't the, want the that. Yeah. yeah, you don't want that uh, person as your national security advisor. I mean, who apparently was also um, uh, working with the Turkish government too. I heard recently. Right. I, haven't, I haven't actually looked too deeply uh, into that. But you know, the thing about this, there's so many own goals on the on the Trump side, is that all they have to do. Um, all Democrats have to do, and this is the thing in this era of fake news, which is a kind of a fake narrative, is that if you say things enough times, this is always uh, this is always by people. This is supposedly a revelatory thing. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, Joseph Goebbels said it. it. He didn't actually. Hitler said it in Mein Kampf. Edward Bernays said it. This is all this stuff. You know, if you read repeat a lie long enough, it's, mm -hmm. it's not about repeating one lie. It's about having a series of things that aren't true. Or of questionable truth, and it becomes the narrative. Whether it is the bump in hate crimes, which, by the way, must have tapered off because we don't hear about them anymore. Even yeah, though, apart from the the phone calls, the robocalls. Um, yeah, I mean, even yeah, in one guy who who uh, you know worked, right. worked the for one, the one arrest, one arrest, a guy who, who worked for the Intercept and and was a lefty and uh, not a guy who liked Donald Trump had been, had been fired long before. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I don't blame I don't blame yes. the I mean, the Intercept actually caught it and fired him. So yeah. uh, good on them. I mean, we all get caught up in these things sometimes. We all get bad bum employees. Uh, so it's not their fault. But, you know, that narrative was so, I mean, you ask anyone, especially anyone in a big city who is m sort of 
vaguely paying attention to politics and listens to Morning Edition on NPR while they're you know fixing their coffee <laughs> and you know making their their bagels and the rest of it. And they're like, oh yeah, well the the hate crime wave is yeah. like, well, is there any proof of that? Well, of course there is. We heard the stories. It's like, well, yeah, no, any schlub can go and paint some graffiti somewhere and then run away, take a picture of it, and say, look what's happening at my school. Did it actually? What was the baseline of that? We talked about in this show mm-hmm. uh, a rise, a rise from what? The last numbers we had were from 2015, and now the Russia story. Do I think that there's some um, you know, bad stuff coming from the Kremlin without a doubt. Sure. Do I believe that there is some sort of you know, broader complicity from the Trump administration. I not that anyone showed me. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think these people will do most anything, and they've proven themselves to be very bad at governing and having very bad instincts and liking very bad characters. But does that mean that you know what people say about Russia and the Trump administration? I have to ask them, and I am a, a very, very big Russia skeptic mm-hmm. and very hawkish on Russia. But even at this point, for me, I'm. I was much more you know, welcome to people investigating this stuff. I thought there was enough smoke to to see if there was a fire somewhere. Mm-hmm. But at this point, there was a piece today, I don't know if it was in the in the Times or the Washington Post, of um, people on intelligence committees, both Democrats and Republicans, saying, you know what, people are going to be disappointed. I don't think we're going to find anything that's a smoking gun. These were unnamed sources in a mainstream newspaper. This was not an ideological thing. It doesn't mean that these interactions have been good. Paul Manafort is a bad guy. He's not working for the administration anymore. Mike Flynn is a scumbag. I'm sorry, he is, and he's not working for the administration anymore. Roger Stone will tell you that he is working for the king of Pluto if it will get him on television. He is a liar. He is a very skilled liar, and he's a very charming guy. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I kind of like him. But I I think that his (laughs) influence on the administration is a bit overwrought. There was a uh, piece in the New York Times about uh, Alex Jones and uh, the administration. He had... I think uh, Trump's ear, and I did a story about this, uh, in a number of ways during the campaign when he was useful. I don't think he has it now. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, Alex Jones said something to that effect to me. The Times did a story the other day about basically the same thing. Um, A second story about Jones's uh, connection to uh, Trump. And it was a, a recycle of the previous story. And I think they clearly watched my piece on the HBO show because it's kind of obliquely referenced in a few ways, but there wasn't anything new. And this stuff just hangs out there. Yeah. And you, it, it, nobody stops to say, well, wait a second. What, are the, what, are the ext- what is the extent of this? Let's not get too excited to burn it down. Wait. And wait on Watergate. Don't get so excited that, you know, G. Gordon Liddy had a, had a you know, a, a chalkboard in front of Attorney General John Mitchell and it ends there. Right. No, you're going to fire the special prosecutor. There's going to be tapes. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Have some patience if that is your goal. It's not my goal. I don't I think there's bad stuff going on. And I think that this is an administration that is probably prone to corruption. And I have an argument for why that is. It's not an mm-hmm. instinct. But on the Russia stuff, uh, to use the Matt Welch phrase, you know, ahead of their skis a little bit here. Yeah. But even even without the controversy, even without that particular conspiracy, there is plenty of controversy that is real and meaningful. And it 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 stands out to me that there are important narratives that are getting very little coverage, while the Russia story um, with all of this sort of odd subtext continually sort of worked into the to the narrative um, just continues to proliferate. Uh, Matt, it sounds like you uh, you maybe made it through I'm kind something. Of in, there's, a, there's a couple of points I want to make before uh, they start to yapping on the uh, intercom here. One is that when you guys were talking about uh, 
uh, Khan and his uh, Canadian problems and stuff and global entry. At the very moment that I was listening to you guys talk about this, which is fascinating, on mute, I was going, and this is going to excite everybody who's listening, I was going for the first time in my life through the global entry line at mm. an airport. Good for you, Matt. This is, but are this you is going so outside great. of America? Because no, it's a like pre-check. A, it's the pre-check line. Pre-check yeah. line. It's a, it, a pre-check line, but it's yeah. also global entry. It's yes, like a, this a, is true. France yeah. every year. Yeah. So, you know, just kill all the birds with one stone. And uh, a, a quick, elite, you know, anecdote of one, uh, uh, so it must be true, is that the people who wait in line uh, for the for that line are even worse than the people who wait in the long line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. They're monsters. They're, they're like, yes, we are. We are in the shortest line in history. This is great. We won the lottery. We don't have to take off our shoes or our belts. Like, the only thing you have to do is to put your keys in your, like, backpack. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, you also have there. to say whether you think Elger Hiss was a spy. <laughs> yeah, you it's know, like a Hugh Hewitt question. Hugh Hewitt test. Yeah. Well, they they also ask you to put your foot on a Quran now. That's that's been happening yeah. for a little while. That was in World Net Daily. And like, yeah. I saw it. I saw it in <laughs> WMD. The guy in front of you sits there, and there's like nothing but space between his stuff and the belt. Right? Like, oh, look at all. Oh, see, now they're talking. They they're right there on the belt. He's like, oh, should I take off my my keys? And put it in my my backpack now. I mean, they're, they're really really uh, stupid. Um, shut up, intercom guy. Uh, oh. The other thing on the Russia <laughs> business. Yeah. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, I believe it was. There was a, a pretty interesting piece, uh, piece in uh, I want to say the Charlotte Observer. Maybe it was um, about. Uh, and Moynihan, you probably follow this to some degree. Um, <laughs> some kind of like Russian oligarch or sub oligarch. His plane taxied on the runway next to Trump's campaign plane at some point. They didn't talk. They didn't get out. But they both, like, were on the same tarmac at he the shot same him a time. Look. And there's an entire article about this. And people were like, really, what does it mean? What could, you know, and they, they might have also, like, crossed airspace in Las Vegas that one time. And my thought about all this, and I, and I share, and if anything, would like to try to even top Moynihan's just basic Russophobia and desire to make the Cold War happen again for all of us, by which I mean me and Michael at least. Um, but like, what do you think is the end of that rainbow? Yeah. Seriously, like well, two I, planes I, I on a tarmac I, I don't together know if it, at the same time. I don't know if this is the same story, but but it's it's uh, equally as um, uh, suspect. Uh, there was a story uh, uh, carried by Cox Newspapers that uh, I think has there was a Tampa Bay Times. Uh, and the headline is this. Why did Russian oligarch pay so much for mansion owned by Trump? <laughs> and it was a it was a um, Russian oligarch who paid uh, Donald Trump ninety five million dollars for his Palm Beach mansion in 2008. Hmm. Um, playing the long game there. Yeah. Playing yeah. the real long. I, I, I bet because this, in 2008, uh, there were many people. Yeah. who Just they knew. Yeah. They knew I, he had a shot at yeah. it, a real shot. Yeah, I bet he's going to be president. <laughs> I guarantee you he's going to be president. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff is uh, – it was uh, $13 million more than the most expensive Palm Beach mansion up, up for sale at the moment. Um, does it, but it doesn't say whether or not it was worth that much. It just said it was more expensive than the most expensive Palm Beach mansion uh, uh, sale up to that moment in 2008. I mean, we are really grasping at straws here. And it's, what it does is, of course, empowers – all of these uh, Trumpian Breitbart, Breitbart types who say there is a massive media conspiracy. There's not a media conspiracy. These are individual people trying to get a story noticed in this, you know, dog-eat-dog -dog media market. The Ta Tampa Bay Times in 1990, that 
story would have winded its way, you know, into the press, the mainstream press, the Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, if it passed muster, Mm -hmm. right? It's just isolated in its little cocoon of Tampa Bay media. I mean, now, I mean, everyone's in these small papers and and smaller markets and blogs and tweets and the rest of it are trying to get a piece of that pie because they can. Recall that in the 90s, in about 1996, uh, Hillary Clinton had a a bit of a uh, show and tell when she was talking about the vast right wing media conspiracy. She did it on some morning show, and I can't remember if it was her or one of her, one of the people in the administration had a little thing where they said, "Here's the cycle of news. Here's how these anti Clinton stories start, and here's how how they're laundered into the mainstream press." And there was something to it actually because they started. A lot with this guy, um, uh, uh, was it Ambrose Evans Pritchard, who was the D.C. correspondent for The Telegraph, and he was mm-hmm. a big Clinton conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. Telegraph's a very real newspaper. Mm-hmm. So b- British press reports, and then it kind of funnels away. And it took some time. Yeah. And there was a point to that. And it was like, well, that's kind of how these these stories are seated. We can no longer have those press conferences where we, we have these schematic that shows how this dirty news gets into into the, the, the bloodstream of the mainstream news. It's just everywhere. Right. And everyone competing nonstop to be the person like, oh, uh, two, two Russian planes flying yeah. by. Yeah, yeah, Oh, he bought a Russian yeah. guy, bought the house. You know, if I'm in Midtown Manhattan, I could, I could, there are a lot of people whose houses and apartments were bought by Russian oligarchs. I, I wonder, I mean, it's part I, of- It means nothing. Yeah, it's part of this that, that the, the media that has sort of made this pivot towards adversarial journalism um, in, in certain places that they're just so out of practice doing this stuff that, that, that they can't do it? Or is it, or is it really that they, are, that they are sort of that hysterical? Because the problem here is I think we all agree that Donald Trump has very unique problems. There yeah. are things about him that are just plain awful. Yeah. It is, it is true them. that he does lie in a way. That just is in a crazy way. That is unusual he's as a, compared to other presidents. He's associated. Um, they yeah. lie about similar things, uh, yeah. as I, I would argue. Um, but they, he lies in a different way. Um, and it's one thing when you have a president who everyone trusts, who can get away with certain things. I think it's another thing when you have a president who most people distrust in fundamental ways, or at least most of the media does. Um, and and that's not it, look talking about the fact that that. Progressives are overrepresented in the media and that they are uniquely uh, concerned, not uniquely concerned now, but particularly concerned um, at this moment is not like crazy. Um, there, there's just there's evidence of this that is very clear and, and pretty irrefutable. Um, but there are important stories here that they are not talking about, that they are not covering with the same intensity. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we uh, we are currently supporting the Iraqi military as they attempt to take back Mosul. Like yes. That is ongoing right now. Sure. And on Sunday, there was a very, there was a story um, in the Washington Post about the United States gearing up for uh, an assault in Raqqa in Syria. And there were several plans that the Pentagon has presented to the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And one of those plans, the preferred plan uh, includes the United States playing a very prominent role, i.e. boots on the ground. That's United States soldiers on the ground, like taking active part in an assault. This There's, seems like a big deal. I, 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 I'm sorry, but to, 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 to stress that point and agree with you is that American troops and boots are on the ground in Syria now. And this is not uh-huh. a special forces way. In a very overt way, 
and I, and they they were in Manbij, and I guess it's in northern Syria, uh, on Sunday, and there are photographs, and uh, to which the Pentagon responded, "Well, yes, that was very deliberate." And those photographs are of American military vehicles driving, and there's a series of them. They're in the Times and the Guardian. This has gotten almost no attention, and flying enormous stars and stripes flags. As they were driving, and like American troops are in Syria, mm-hmm. and their their military vehicles are in Syria, and this is a big deal. And we're trying to figure out uh, who bought Donald Trump's mansion in two thousand eight, and be- because he's Russian, right? Do, and by the way, we don't know if he's an oligarch that has connections to the <laughs> Kremlin or whatever. <laughs> they, it is. they all do. They all. I mean, they all do. <laughs> but to what? I mean, some have more connections than others. Yes, this is true. Um, and you know, there is a picture of of these uh, armored vehicles. With flying American flags driving through the Syrian city of Manbij, and there's other there are other troops there that are uh, Syrian troops backed by Turkey who are a little out of control now. There are uh, troops uh, from um, there. If you look at the the list, Iranian. I mean, every there's a lot of people there. This is not going to end beautifully. I my my guess. Mm-hmm. And why do we have American troops driving in with flags? Not the covert stuff's different. You would say, and I, I understand your argument here, that, you know, dropping men in there is still boots on the ground if they're going in the dead of night and slitting throats. It's still irritating the local population. I mm-hmm. think in Syria, in this place, it's actually probably probably having the opposite effect. I mean, it's anything at this point for the Syrians to stabilize the situation would be great. Um, there are Iraqi forces in there that are American-backed, but they're essentially Shia militias. It's a very complicated situation, it's right? Incredibly complicated, and this complication is something that Americans should at least try to, you know, uh, understand, avail themselves of all the available information. Because we have said in the past that we will not make these mistakes that we made in two thousand two and two thousand three by knowing so little that that was referred to as a rush to war. I mean, remember we went to war in Iraq, I believe in February of, uh, late January, February of 2003, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, you know, a year, almost a year and a half after, uh, the attack on, on the twin towers here in mm-hmm. Washington and the plane in Pennsylvania. But it took a little bit of time, right? right. It took a little bit of time. The rush right. to war was, a, I mean, maybe not the best way of attacking that argument, but here, I mean, we're going to see the slow kind of America in, in Syria has been a very slow process already. And I've been talking, and something I'll reveal later, I've been talking to a number of people over the past uh, two months about Syria and about this decision, people from the previous administration who have been very gracious with their time. And we've talked very seriously about what the Obama administration did and what they did not do and what the the kind of fissures within the administration were. Mm-hmm. And there were massive ones of people that wanted to take a, a much stronger hand and, and Obama taking a much softer hand. And by the way, saying in Jeffrey Goldberg's uh, piece about the Obama doctrine that he didn't want to be governed by Massachusetts Avenue think tank people uh, when it came to Syria. So that there's two sides of this are pretty interesting. Hmm. But right now, uh, you know, Obama, you passed a red line. Let's do something about it. We didn't do anything about it, right? Okay. We agree or disagree about that. Now it seems to be a very slow creep that while we're all talking about Russia, we're all talking about the healthcare uh, bill, we're all talking about the tweet storm that was, you know, the blubberings of a mentally ill man about being being wiretapped, which came from a Joel Pollock version of a Mark Levin. Yeah, we didn't even t- get into I that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's madness. It's untrue. 
Uh, the administration is having a very a hard time defending it. Mm-hmm. Sean Spicer even seems embarrassed by having to answer these questions, as are all of his other surrogates. So he tried to bury it pretty quickly, saying, well, I'm not going to answer questions about this anymore. Exactly, the, because uh, there's this no- is going to be investigated by yeah, Congress. Because there's we're nothing to investigate. And the guy read something on Breitbart and he tweeted about it because he has no self-control. That's the actual answer. And if you can't say that because you get fired, it's best to say nothing. But as this is happening, there are things happening in the globe uh, American missiles, uh, very big, sturdy American missiles now being deployed and have been deployed in South Korea. Wow. After the uh, missile tests right. uh, that were meant to frighten the South Koreans, the Japanese and the Americans. The Chinese government said the other day, um, it's an incredible role. Uh, the, Chi- the Chinese premier who showed up at Davos, by the way, and said, talked about globalization and you know integration of the world community. The, the, the premier of communist China. This mm-hmm. is an amazing moment uh, when Donald Trump is saying, let's retreat from the world and destroy globalization. Um, so China is seeing this vacuum much in the way that Russia saw the vacuum uh, in Syria. And there's no reason there's huge Russian strategic inter- interest of bombing Aleppo into a pile of dust, right. uh, except to f- fulfill that mandate of a great power in the Middle East that the United States stepped away from. So what's happening now is the sort of peacenik uh, Donald Trump, much like the peacenik Barack Obama, I'm not opposed to wars, I'm opposed to stupid wars. Uh, all of a sudden, the military is is uh, beefing up its activities in Syria, beefing up its activities in Iraq, and very much beefing up its activities in South Korea, which is one of the most terrifying places. And the Chinese told the North Koreans in a very um, uh, ridiculous but clever, diplomatically clever bit of moral equivalent, said, hey, both of you guys got to chill out. The North Koreans and the United States, both of you have to calm down. Let's come back from the brink. Because the Chinese, of course, have one desire here. They do not want the America would win a war in North Korea. This is there's no doubt about this. We would win it very quickly. And it's not the same thing as a sectarian nightmare like Iraq or Syria. We would win it fast. And what China doesn't want was an American client state on its border. It doesn't want refugees. It doesn't want this. It wants to control that weak, psychopathic puppet state of North Korea. And it's getting a bit panicked now that things are heating up. And this is all a result of Donald Trump's presidency. And this is being roundly ignored. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it really is terrifying. I mean, you, and one thing you didn't mention, I mean, is the increasing tension with Turkey and the United States as a consequence of the the, the pending incursion, uh, further incursion uh, yep. into Syria by the uh, United States military. But again, this stuff is complicated already. Yeah. Uh, but there is at least a universe in which there we could talk about these things. And perhaps if there is going to be this intent, intense excitement um, and this enthusiasm for finding stories about things that might mm. uh, agitate the American people and particularly uh, progressives um, and anyone who is deeply concerned about Donald Trump. This is uh, this is one storyline that you could push. Uh, but instead, uh, the choice has been made to push uh, sort of the subtext. Yeah. The, I the, mean, the in, Russian conspiracy, in your the right, Manchur- Manchurian Trump. And you're right, too, uh, with Turkey. I mean, United States forces are allied 
Um, remember during the campaign, I, I think I made a joke maybe on episode two of this podcast uh, when Donald Trump was was uh, debating uh, and, and he has a few things on a, on a card that he knows mm-hmm. to say, right? Was this, this was the Kurds. Oh, yeah. No, just, ah. and I, I, my response is, how many fucking Kurds do you think there are? <laughs> you believe that you could, there's this zombie army of Kurds that can just take care of everything for us. And now we're fighting along, uh, you know, militia, alongside, basically, of militias, uh-huh. Kurdish militias that are linked to separatist groups that the Turks don't like. And they consider. view them as terrorists. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the State yeah. Department actually uh, uh-huh. termed some of these people terrorists, they, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Osalan's uh, people and the PKK and things mm. like that. This is stuff that we have to pay attention to because it's stuff we didn't pay attention to, and it was much easier. Honest to goodness, it was much easier in Iraq. It was much easier to predict. That is well, that's kind of terrifying. Well, it is. It's, I mean, it's much, they, they, it was much. It was much easier in Iraq. This it, is this is true. If you if you uh, empower kind of the majority Shia to uh, take over in the debathification of just ridding the Sunnis from society. Yeah, it got complicated in the sense, the sense that, you know, the sort of Suleimani brigades of Iran start thing. You know, there's all these people from coming from from Syria, actually, and the regime in Syria was was allowing people to cross the border and, you know, build roadside bombs, et cetera. And it became a sort of pan-Arab and then a pan-Islamist force that showed up. But the initial thing, even we didn't pay much attention to, which is the basic Sunni Shia conflict and, in, in, you know, in Syria, you have, God, Sunni, Shia, Alawites, Kurds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes on and on. Yazidis. I mean, this is not an easy situation. But if you look on the other side of the world, it's still an easy situation. But in North Korea, this, every single person, and I had two people that are very, very high level of the Defense Department said, look, we had a deal in 1994 with Kim Il-sung, the founder of the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea, um, a Juche disciple and psychopathic Stalinist who wanted a deal for a variety Juche, of reasons. The, the, the philosophy, the philosophy of, the, of uh, self-reliance of the yes. North Koreans. And then it came unraveled and they cheated on this nuke deal when uh, Kim Jong-il became, became the dictator of North Korea. And now there was a bit where everyone said, in, go back and find these people and shame them, who said, who said when uh, Kim Jong-un became the dictator of North Korea, well, he was educated in Switzerland. He really likes Michael Jordan. He's a big basketball fan. I think this is a guy we can do business with. Every single person I talked to in the last week in D.C. said he is the scariest of the three by far. Mm-hmm. By far. I mean, they don't even think that there's any space between uh, uh, Kim Jong-il. Is just a, a consequence of uncertainty? Uh, it's a consequence uh, of uncertainty, but it's actually a consequence of his actions. Mm. I mean, his actions have been... Even well, sure. I mean, there was that bold uh, assassination. Assassination, assassination in, in his the brother. Um, I mean, with, it, uh, with biotoxins. Yeah, with with with, chemical with uh, weapons. Yeah, with uh, VX nerve gas. Nerve I think yeah. it was. And you know, keep in mind that he killed his brother in a in an airport. That within a couple of weeks of 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 becoming dictator, he killed his uncle. Yeah, yeah. In a very dramatic way. And you know, we we hear all these lies about North Korea, um, and people get very upset. These you know these scare stories in a way, but a lot of them are happen to be true. And so we have to really be on our guard against that. It's very hard to get information out of North Korea. We don't have diplomatic relations with them. And this is a scary, scary moment when American missiles are coming in and being plopped into South Korea. And was that planned before? I have to check that. I don't remember, mm-hmm. but they've ramped it up recently for in response to missile tests. Yeah. You can't negotiate with them. Yeah. What do you do with people you, don't, you have no opening to negotiate with the North Koreans. It's a, it's a ter- terrible situation. 
Well, Matt, I don't know if you're, yeah, st- you're you are still there. There he is. I am. I'm still here. Um, I, I just want to report here live from JFK. Oh, <laughs> shut up, you cow. You know, it's, it's impossible to find a place in the airport where there's someone yammering at you. Uh, but they were playing a Rush's uh, Tom Sawyer on there. So uh, I guess uh, ex-libertarian shout out or something like that. Um, uh, no, but to, to add to uh, what both of you were saying, um, we saw just today there was reports from uh, people in the Trump administration on the military side who said that the new plan for Afghanistan, and you might want to sit down. I know you guys are standing and pacing around the room frantically and we, trying we to are, straight actually. at the leash and, and bite Chad on his forehead, uh, which <laughs> yeah. is the right play. Um, Chad is in the other uh, end sleeping <laughs> and also eating yeah, chicken yeah. at the same time. I don't know how he's doing it. He's fully asleep uh, with chicken in his mouth. <laughs> they said that what we're going to see in Afghanistan, and this is kind of a new thing, is that we're going to increase the number of U.S. troops. So I think finally we're going to we're going to win this thing yeah, once sure. and for all yeah. uh, in Afghanistan, which is uh, really exciting news for everybody who's been wondering when we're going to finally take the gloves off uh, <laughs> over there after 17 fucking years. Uh, and then the other thing that is near and dear to Camille's heart because his heart is rancid, um, is that uh, I, I think I saw it was in Foreign Policy um, magazine that uh, we have now already in the six, uh, seven weeks of the Trump administration more um, uh, bombing and military activity in Yemen uh, than yeah. we had all of last year under Barack Obama. and. Nice. Uh, that wasn't an insignificant amount last year. No, I mean, it's funny. There's there's I, I was watching um, an old uh, TV interview, a, a Vietnam related. And everybody at the time had a line that they all said, you know, we don't want to go over there and die for something that we don't even understand. And no one's even explained to us. Every young person said that. And it's wrong. I mean, there was pretty there was a clear goal <laughs> and people did know what it was for. They just disagreed with what it was for. Yemen, on the other hand, I mean, what America is doing that there, who they're arming, I'm arming Saudis, who the Houthis are, uh-huh. where Sana is, uh-huh. what the purpose of this raid was in which a soldier died and his his uh, wife was was uh, at the speech and, and a horrible moment to watch of her crying. What is all this for is something that people asked when she was crying on Twitter. They said, and it was it was used as 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 points, and you should be able to score points with the president for this because he makes that decision, score points on this, and say, you know, Donald Trump, explain you made this decision over dinner. Let's not talk about where he made the decision and talk about why he made the decision. Right. What is the purpose of putting boots on the ground? In you know whether it's a flash in and out like a killing of Osama bin Laden job, was the purpose of this to gain intelligence? Okay, from whom? In what intelligence did we gain? Now, obviously, we can't reveal that. It'll probably be revealed soon enough because this thing leaks like a colander, this administration. And, you know, we didn't even talk about the Julian Assange's new cache of documents. But, mm, yeah. you know, it's something that we're, we, we, we pretend to learn lessons. Americans, people across the globe never learn lessons from history. They just don't. So all of this hand-wringing after Iraq will learn this lesson about the intelligence and about how the intelligence... And I always ask people, what on earth would we have done if the situation was exactly the same, lined up exactly the way it was before? Again, how do we judge that intelligence that we can't see? We have to trust these people. Well, we hold their feet to the fire. Okay, great. Let's ask them for more proof. And then they trot, you know, uh, Colin Powell out to hold up some vials and and, you know, be yelled at by Yoshka Fisher and then it's over. And now we're in a situation again where the thing, the terms have changed a little bit. 
a lot of this intelligence gets out in different ways. And we don't even ask the most basic questions because we don't have a big enough footprint in, in, in Yemen. And we maybe only have a few armored vehicles uh, driving around northern Iraq. But this stuff gains steam very quickly. And I, I don't I go back and look at the questions that people said in 2006. This is what we should learn, the lessons we should learn from Iraq. Uh, have any of those been learned? And are people asking those questions now? No, they're distracted by, you know, was Donald Trump watching girls piss on each other in a Moscow hotel room? <laughs> Which, by the way, is the, the, is obviously yes. And it's the only quality Clearly. of his that I actually enjoy. <laughs> um, well, uh I mean, we've, we've been going for a little while. I think, I think we're probably going to uh, probably wrap this up quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe, maybe some, some parting shots on the, uh, the Julian Assange WikiLeaks business. WikiLeaks business. Uh, Matt, you got anything for us before you uh, board your plane headed for uh, sunny L.A.? I wanted to, to – I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to misquote it somewhat. But I wanted to – somebody okay. Just wrote this up. on, uh, on uh, James uh, Carafano, uh, who is the uh, Heritage Foundation's main – uh, uh, defense and foreign policy guy, uh, who I know a little bit, uh, um, is someone who spent eight years talking about, you know, weak American leadership and apology tours. And uh, anytime Obama did something ins- insignificant or insufficiently kind of chest thumping, he would post a picture of himself sitting next to Ronald McDonald for reasons that are still kind of obscure, but he does it about <laughs> once every two or three days. You can go check him out, James Carafano. Uh, anyways, uh, two, three days ago, he tweeted the equivalent of, since I don't have it in front of me, and if I did, it'd be impossible because I'm talking on the device that would show me, um, something along the lines of, well, what's the proof that uh, Vladimir Putin would prefer Trump? I mean, is there really any evidence of, for that? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you, it's called logic and Occam's razor. Yeah. If yeah. you have been living and working in the field of foreign policy at all in your life, period, and you're asking that kind of question credulously, Turn in your car. Well, he's been busy. He's been trying to keep up with all the uh, all the craziness that's happening in Syria. That's what it is. He's got an excuse. Look, you know what? I I agree that you can make a point about the craziness. You can make a point about a bunch of different things. But do not sit here and pretend that you know a goddamn thing about the world and international relations and Russia and anything else without understanding a very easy to understand alignment of interest. And by the way, that alignment of interest is kind of exculpatory on some of these conspiracy theories. It says that, hey, look, you know what? Of course Putin prefers people who are against multilateral Western institutions. Kind of makes sense. And hates um, NATO. And vice versa. <laughs> mm-hmm. And says he won't uh, defend Tallinn. Yeah, obviously. It, it's, a, it's a pretty simple story. And uh, to pretend like it isn't, uh, that it's just some kind of uh, the, something, uh, you just, just turn in your card. You're smarter than that. Heritage is the in-house think tank for the Trump administration, the price of that entry shouldn't be to completely, you know, do what they did to Jack Nicholson at the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, for fuck's sake, stand up and be halfway uh, smart, you drooling idiot. Uh, James Carafano, who is an advisor to the Trump uh, uh, regime (laughs) administration, (laughs) uh, did actually say um, today, uh, WikiLeaks sucks. And links to um, uh, he's uh, in a response to anonymous um, the about uh, government creates monsters, attempts to cover them up. And now the monster is out of the government's control. And he responds or WikiLeaks sucks and, and links to a national interest story about this uh, Vault 7 link uh, leak. You know, it's incredible how quickly it's whiplash. How all of a sudden they don't like WikiLeaks anymore. And I wonder if uh, Sean Hannity 
will be slobbering all over. I I think uh, like last night, um, he was actually still um, shockingly to me. He was still defending. I saw that and he like protected his tweets or something. What was that all about? Uh, That I didn't see. Yeah. I I, I know last night he was still defending. I don't know why one something WikiLeaks. You protect your tweets when you have 4.5 million followers. It'll never get out. He talked about the story. He actually talked about it suggesting um, the he was – he was actually uh, repeating a narrative that I heard a couple of times uh, when this WikiLeaks story first uh, dropped, which is that the part of the disclosure here was that the United States government uh, or the CIA had developed the ability to leave uh, sort of footprints that made it look like these various uh, hacks were coming from different organizations. Um, although it, it looks like upon further review, it's it's – it's not so much saying that. And even if that were the case, um, we don't only have footprints when yeah, we have it comes more to the, it, uh, we have more than to the, to the DNC and, hack yeah. in particular. And, and the, um, the tweet was, is it possible, likely, or can you confirm instances where the CIA used malware to attribute cyber attacks to other nations, possibly Russia? Right. That's Sean Hannity's tweet to Julian Assange. Uh, last night. And it is, that is really stunning. That is really something else. And the American government has the capability of attributing things to other people, people who are very sophisticated in cyber war do. And they have a, they have very sophisticated capabilities of covering their tracks. Part of what makes it so difficult to, uh, to actually uh, determine who was responsible uh, for some of these activities. Yeah, but there's a lot of bullshit news about this too. I mean, this sure. idea of Samsung TVs can spy on you. I mean, sure, they can. And it, this has been known for a long time. Actually, I remember in 2006 or something laughing at when I saw Judge Napolitano before he was even on Fox News giving a speech and he was saying like, you know, your phone can listen to you. It's a listening device. And I was like, I was kind of laughing. I was like, yeah, okay. All right, we're all being listened to. But he had a point. And of course, he was right. And, uh-huh. and, and these things can't can do that. But on the Samsung TV thing, what's missing in this, and I was looking at some of the documents and all these kind of DLL exploits and things you can do, they needed access to the TV, and I'm sure they were developing access to uh, for remote access to TVs. Right. But in this case, they would have to do a break and enter and use a USB drive to actually infect the television, what the technology was that was released. So the even the story on that it's just the panic that in, induces. Well, this is this is reporters writing about things that they do they not understand. They don't understand. Yeah, yeah, and that and that was pretty clear in this. But you know, all we should always figure that if you have an Amazon Alexa, which by the way was was uh, a court in I think Alabama just allowed an Amazon Alexa recording to be used in a murder trial oh, uh, that it might have picked, I had not that it I might had have not seen that. Yeah, it might have picked up uh, something uh, in the day of a murder. Um, these devices do listen, they do record, they do put things in the cloud. You don't have to be a computer scientist to realize that they can be exploited, which is why every journalist I know has a piece of tape over there. Uh, uh, not, not me, not me. Well, nobody well, gives. Well, gives well no, no. People, <laughs> people want to see. People want to see me, and they and they want to see things. But I, I also believe, you know, end of privacy. And sooner your your nude photos get out there, the better. I won't be leaking them myself, but I expect someone to to hack my my computer, and that's you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm not. That's not an invitation. Just yeah. saying. Um, I mean, stop. And, and I'm kind of kidding. Stop Snapchatting uh, pictures but, of your balls. But on, <laughs> but on that, but on that note, um, Julian Assange, uh, one, the, the binary isn't necessary. He doesn't have to be a, a hero or a villain um, for me to say the following, which is um, we all, I mean, we have our, our cell phones. We, a lot of us use iOS. Some of us use Android. Uh, the fact that those things are vulnerable to uh, 
attack and intrusion by various entities. It's not only uh, the intelligence community that is developing tools to try and exploit these devices. Lots and lots of people are. Um, so to the extent that these uh, that this information is out there uh, and that it finds its way um, to the companies that actually develop the software so that they can repair uh, those problems, um, that doesn't strike me as the the most terrifying thing in the universe and and quite frankly is almost certainly a good thing uh, so i do i did wonder when i saw a ben sass's uh response to Julia <laughs> yeah, Asad, which is right, he yeah. should he should be locked up um he should be locked up uh forever well, here, here's, he should be here's, an orange jumpsuit forever well here's we'll something just, to watch mm-hmm. this just the, as we end something to watch uh-huh. uh the election in ecuador which is a very important election uh-huh. rafael correa who's a leftist a, a, a chavista ally um, his uh, pal, who has the brilliant name of Lenin Moreno, uh, won the first round of the election. It was a runoff, and it looks like uh, his uh, opponent, Guillermo Lasso, might win mm-hmm. in this runoff. If he wins in that runoff, Julian Assange is going to have to leave that embassy. So Julian Assange might be in a position that Ben Sass very much wants. He might have to walk out that embassy. He'll be arrested by the British, and he will be uh, sent uh, to, to the Sweden. United to Sweden. To no, Sweden. Sweden. I mean, he was living in there and they never sent him to the United States. Uh-huh. They, 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 he will be sent to Sweden to face those those charges, which I suspect will be thrown out. But but we might see the are end these of the, the sexual, the sexual assault the sexual charges. Assault charges. Uh, yeah. But we, we are going to see a situation possibly, depending on the result of this, this runoff in, in Ecuador, of Julian Assange leaving the embassy. Now this That would be uh, that would be very interesting. It would be interesting. Um, All right. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Matt. Yes, it was uh, it was good to talk to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for putting up with my uh, ambient noise here at uh, the world's worst airport. That's it's okay. It's In- okay. The infrastructure spending will change it. <laughs> Un- <laughs> unlikely. Um, great. Well, look, we did the thing. We're back. We did it. Um, it yeah, that lost episode, man. Still, fucking, still fucking lost episode. Uh, nah, I didn't have my greatest moments there. I, I thought that the uh, the the thing that we did before the experiment. Yeah. Uh, by the way, kids, um, the feedback has been. Very strong, very good, and we might be doing uh, I more. Appreciate of everyone who listens. Um, yeah, well, you suggested that that you, uh, myself, and Matt, someone should do one once a month, and I, I yeah. like that idea a lot. If you guys like that idea, idea, you can comment on. Well, they've all said it. that they like that idea. They oh, want you've that. actually yes, you've actually asked this. about the, the no, I didn't everyone. ask about okay. that, but they like they like that we'll idea. It. I think they'd like if you did it. Too. We'll choose a victim. Matt will do one. I'll do one. You do one. We alternate months. Okay, and it'll be our special episode for the month. And if you want to hear the lost episode. Send me booze and I will get you a copy. <laughs> you will never get it. You'll, I'll, I'll drop. I'll drop. All, all been deleted. Yeah, uh, no, it's it hasn't been, been handed over to WikiLeaks. You just played some of it. <laughs> That's true. That's it's it's true. Later. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. <laughs>